Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to poker tournament strategy. Now here's your host, Clayton Fletcher. Hello once again, everybody, and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. I'm your host, Clayton Fletcher in fabulous Las Vegas, where this week I had the honor of appearing not once, but twice on Poker Go, where I did color commentary for the 25K Pot Limit Omaha High Roller and the 50K Pot Limit Omaha High Roller. So little did any of us know, apparently I'm a Pot Limit Omaha expert (laughs) or specialist or something. Uh, Yeah, the first one is with Ali Najad. My first time working with him. What a great guy. And congrats to Ali. He's recently been named media ambassador for GG Poker. So that's pretty cool for him. And then, of course, my old pal, David Tuckman, on Wednesday, June 15th. Uh, we just flow, you know. Tuck and I, we long in the booth together. It's just, that's how it is. I really enjoy working with him. I loved working with Ali. I loved working with Tuck. Hopefully there'll be some more final tables requiring me to do my little talky talk, jokey joke thing before the end of the series because I really love doing that. It's actually my dream job. So uh, yeah, I'm having a great time here in Vegas. I don't have any tournament results yet to share with you guys. I have been mystery bountying my butt off. I played three times. Uh, this week in the Mystery Bounty Tournament at the Win, You have to make day two to have a shot at feeling the anticipation and excitement of opening that envelope and knowing what kind of bounty you have collected. I did not make day two in any of my attempts. Uh, I'm playing, I think, very well. I'm playing my normal, mostly aggressive style, trying to pounce on players who are too tight or too passive and uh, it's just not working out you know uh, several of the tournaments that I've played in already in the last two weeks since I arrived in Vegas have been uh, just ending on a coin flip I'm one for five in significant coin flips so far this summer which is not good <laughs> we got to start winning some flips if we're going to win any tournaments But anyway, there's a long way to go and lots of poker to play. But I do want to share a couple of hands from the Mystery Bounty with you guys. I think this might be a short-ish episode, but I did pick out two hands for us to run through. And for those who are uh, living vicariously through me, I did not want to leave you hanging this week. I'm going to be bringing you content each and every week from the WSOP. You have my word. So the Mystery Bounty is a great tournament at the win. It's got a $2.5 million guaranteed prize pool, which they shattered. I believe it got up to 3.3 or so. Uh, It's a $2,200 buy-in with bounties ranging from $500 all the way up to a quarter million. So that's why I wanted to play. You guys know I love this format, and I was very excited to play um, unfortunately, I didn't make day two, but 
I love the win. I think they're doing an, an amazing job there. Uh, all the staff is top notch. I had one dealer that was slightly below average today, and he really stood out. I'm being really critical here. This guy, his mistake was he never told us how many players there are. As the dealer puts out the flop, he's supposed to let the players know how many players are in the pot. And this is to protect us from maybe someone called and we couldn't see it because of the way we were sitting or whatever. They're just supposed to tell you how many players are in the hand. And I noticed that one of the dealers today did not do that. So that is hypercritical, but that's how picky you can get at the win because everyone is so top notch there. So anyway, here's a hand from the 100, 200 level with a 200 big blind ante. I've been cruising to this point. We start with 30,000 in chips and I've run it up pretty quickly up to 38,000. So, you know, life is good. We're playing well. We seem comfortable at our table. I'm starting to get a read on everybody. We've been playing for about an hour now, just under. So this is towards the end of level two. So in this hand, the action folds to me uh, in the hijack. I've got a king of diamonds, queen of hearts. I decide to raise to 600. The raises at this table have varied greatly. Some players are doing 400. Some players are doing 500. One guy's been doing 800. And I've been just kind of varying mine 400, 500, 600. That's just not that important. We're deep stacked, but yeah, we've got king, queen offsuit. And then on the button, a young guy under 30, maybe 28-ish, very short haircut, um, seems very serious. He's been mostly quiet today. He hasn't gotten involved in too many pots. I've been very active at this table. I've been playing quite a few hands. Really, it's a function of me being dealt a lot of really good starting hands. I had pocket nines. I had pocket kings. I had ace king already in the first hour. So I probably appear to be a very aggressive player. And, you know, in fairness, I am, but I've been a little aggressive even from my standards at this table just due to the nature of the hands that I've been dealt early on. Uh, and this player, three bets to 1700 so i made it 600 he raised to 1700 on the button and the action folds back to me now you can fold if you want i think king queen's um a pretty bad hand to call with though i don't really like calling a 3x 3-bet from out of position against a player that i think is pretty good seems to know what he's doing so uh, i decided to go for a 4-bet here a little bit sexy i make it 4100 now my thinking is uh, i will sometimes take it down you know there are plenty of players that will see an aggressive player is now raising once again and i'm sitting here on the button with uh jack 10 suited or eight seven suited or ace three suited a lot of these suited hands will be in a lot of players button three betting range and I think that making it 4,100 should pretty much end the hand a lot of the time. I block some of his best hands, ace-king, pocket-queens, pocket-kings, ace-queen. And so I like using this hand as an occasional four bet. And I think I prefer that to calling with it. So my second choice would have just been to fold. But yeah, I put in 4,100 and our opponent 
calls, we'll see a flop with 8,700 in the middle. Uh, by the way, opponent has about 33,000 in his stack. So we are looking at an SPR of right around four. So not super comfortable for either of us with that kind of SPR. And the flop comes Jack of Diamonds, 10 of Spades, 5 of Clubs. So we have flopped the open-ended straight draw to the nuts with two overcards. So, uh, of course, we're going to see bet this a very, very high percentage of the time, even when we miss the flop completely. Typically, when you take the lead in a pot with a 4-bet pre-flop, you should have a very high C-betting frequency. So, yeah, obviously, the open-ender with two overcards is uh, a, certainly a hand that you want to put into your continuation betting range. I don't see the need to go too big here. As mentioned, I feel like my opponent can have a lot of medium-strength hands. He could have pocket pairs like eights or nines that I might be able to get to fold for not too big of a bet. Uh, he could also have pocket queens, pocket jacks, pocket tens. Those hands would be uh, much harder to get to fold, especially with a jack and a ten on the board. But with me having a king and a queen in my hand, it's harder for him to have big pairs like kings and queens anyway. So we bet 3000 into 8700 and opponent seems a little uncomfortable and makes the call. The pot is now 14700 and the turn comes the jack of hearts. So what to do with the open ender now that the top card has paired? Well, the real question is, if we're able to continue bluffing, it's got to be because our opponent calls on the flop with a lot of medium strength hands. We're targeting pocket sevens, pocket eights. These are hands that could very well have three bet pre-flop, especially when my table image was so aggressive. It's entirely possible that he could have called with those kind of hands, even on the flop, hoping that I just have ace king or ace queen and I missed. And so I decide to bet again. I would probably also bet again if I had a jack, ace jack, certainly in my range, four jacks also in my range, uh, pocket aces, pocket kings, even pocket queens, I probably would bet this card. It's just unlikely that my opponent has a jack. I mean, what jack should he have in his hand anyway to call my four bet? So yeah, I put in 6,200 into the 14,700 pot and he called again. Now, I really had a hard time trying to range him. I don't really think he can have very many jacks in his range. I think possibly ace jack suited might get a little stubborn and call my four bet, but I'm not sure how often this opponent will show up with three of a kind. So yeah, I made the bet and he called the bet. So now we've got a really big pot here, 27,100 in the middle. And the river comes the jack of clubs for a final board of jack of diamonds, 10 of spades, five of clubs, jack of hearts, jack of clubs. And you know, I don't know what else to do. I missed my straight, I missed everything. I can give up, obviously, if we put our opponent on a very strong hand like pocket tens or any type of jack, 
I guess we can go ahead and, and give up. But my thinking is he still should have some pocket eights, pocket nines, maybe pocket sevens, hands like that, maybe ace ten. And I feel like I should be able to get him to fold a lot of those hands with another sizable bet here. So I put in 10,000, which isn't big compared with the pot, but opponent only has 19,000 in his stack. Now, if I shove, I don't think I'm adding very many hands to his folding range, as opposed to betting 10,000 or all in for 19,000. Maybe he would fold a 10, like an ace 10 type of hand if I shove, but he might be able to call for 10,000. But I don't really think he's going to even call the smaller bet holding a 10. I'm clearly representing a jack or pocket aces. So uh, I bet 10,000 and he does shove for 19 total. So obviously I can't call that with king high. And uh, unfortunately, I think that I ran into quads here. And I'm very unhappy about how that one went down because I was doing so well. And then it just seems like I put a lot of chips in when my opponent was telling me all along that he had a strong hand and wasn't going anywhere. But I don't know, guys. Is that results-oriented thinking? I think I would have really kicked myself if I checked this river and he checks behind and wins the pot with a hand like pocket sevens or pocket eights. So anyway, that one hurt, but we were still very much alive. So moving on to the 300, 500, and 500 level, I recovered from that disastrous bluff with the king-queen, and we've got the stack back up to 26,000. Again, we started the tournament with 30,000, so we're not doing particularly well, but we're doing a lot better than we were after that last hand. Our M is 20. We've got 52 big blinds. The average stack at this point was something like 37, 38,000. Uh, by the way, this was the last day to enter the mystery bounty and they got something like 730 players. So as is always the case for whatever reason in all tournaments, the last starting day was way bigger than the others. The win was packed. They didn't have any cash games going this afternoon. All tables fully dedicated to the mystery bounty $2.5 million guaranteed tournament. So here we are, 300, 500, with the 500 big blind ante. And there's a player at my table on my right. He's two to my right. An older gentleman, probably around 65 years of age, seems to just open every time the action is folded to him. So a couple of folds to him, and he's in the hijack. He makes it 1300 He's got about 48000 behind, so he's doing quite well. Uh, other fun facts about this player. Uh, he strikes me as a recreational type. Uh, probably lives in Las Vegas. Now, if you're used to playing in Atlantic City or Foxwoods or someplace back east, the old players tend to be really tight and really scared and extremely bluffable. The uh, older guys in Vegas, especially the ones who wear like clothing from the Venetian, they tend to be a little bit stickier. Not to say you can ever bluff them, but you've got to be careful about mistakenly assigning them 
certain attributes that you might normally associate with senior citizens. Uh, so anyway, he makes it 1300 and now this time I'm on the button with the Jack of Diamonds, 10 of Diamonds. Uh, I'm not folding, obviously. Uh, we can call or three bet, and I just mix it up here. This is about a 50-50 split for me. One way, I, if I have a hand that I will sometimes use as a call and sometimes use as a raise, uh, I will look at the tournament clock and I'll kind of time, tell myself before doing so that if the seconds are lower than 30 seconds, I'm going to just call. And if the seconds are higher than 30, then I'm going to raise. So that's what I did in this case. And whatever randomization I used that way, I decided to three bet to 3,800 and the action folds all the way back to the original razor who calls. So now we are playing in position versus this older gentleman and we've got the Jack 10 of diamonds. And with 8,900 in the middle, the flop comes six of hearts, tray of diamonds, deuce of hearts. So six tray deuce with one diamond and two hearts and opponent checks. I think this is a spot for a C-bet. I could go for a delayed C-bet here. Some of my opponent's range should be hands like pocket fives, pocket sevens, and those hands are not ever folding, but they're also likely to bet on the turn if we check behind on the flop, at which point we could pretty much just throw our jack-10 away. So that is... One way to gain more information than you otherwise might is go for the uh, delayed continuation bet. So checking here on the flop and then betting if he checks again on the turn. Um, I decided to go ahead and bet right now. I make, I make it 3,000 into the 8,900 pot and the opponent calls. So now there's 14,900 in the middle and the turn comes the six of diamond. So our board is six of hearts, tray of diamonds, deuce of hearts, six of diamonds. So we now pick up a flush draw to go with our two over cards. And to my surprise, my opponent bet 2,500 into the 14,900 pot. So obviously that's a tiny bet. What does it mean? I'm not sure, but generally speaking against players such as this one, this is going to be an unbalanced blocking bet type of range like he's either got some kind of weird draw with a hand like ace five or he's got just a marginal hand like pocket fours or perhaps uh, ace deuce where he hit a little piece of this board and he just doesn't want to check and have to call a big bet so he's trying to bet small hoping that i don't raise well if that's the read then i think we pretty much have to raise especially given the fact that we now have a flush draw to go along with our two overcards. So I do raise and I make it 8,000, a little more than three times his original bet, but still a pretty small raise compared with the size of the pot. And our opponent thinks about it for a while. He scratches his head. He looks genuinely torn about how to play and he decides to call my bet and now there is 30,900 in this pot. And the river comes the four of clubs. And our opponent checks this time. Uh, this is 
tough. I mean, we end up with jack high here, obviously the bottom of our range. And to the extent that we want to have bluffs in our range, we should use the very worst hands, the ones that can never win a showdown. Uh, this hand could occasionally win a showdown, I suppose, um, when our opponent has a hand like eight, seven of hearts, flopped a flush draw. Uh, yeah, but there aren't that many hands like that. That's pretty ambitious to hope that he's got one of the few hands we can actually beat with our jack high, which is an argument for betting here in this spot. But for me, I don't know. I just, when he calls the turn raise, I think he's probably got a very strong hand. He may even be slow playing a six. Some of the time, I think that he's going to show up here with a hand like pocket sevens, pocket eights, maybe even a little stronger than that, pocket nines, pocket tens. Some of the time, also the ace five that I just randomly put into his tiny defensive betting range uh, on the turn now has gotten there as any five has a straight. So I don't know. I, I decided to chicken out and just check behind. One thing I'm working on is reducing my triple barrel bluff frequency <laughs> against opponents who aren't particularly prone to folding. And this just felt like a spot for me to just give up. I, I would like to have a few more give ups in my range. Now, I, I know for most of you listening to this, you probably don't triple barrel enough. Very few players triple barrel enough. I think in my case, I tend to triple barrel a little too much. And so I'm working on finding spots where the triple barrel bluff is unlikely to work. So I give up on the river and my opponent turned over the four of spades tray of clubs. So yeah, he ends up with sixes and fours. I mean, I certainly didn't have that hand in his calling my pre-flop three bet range four tray offsuit really but yeah for those who think poker is dead you can get into big pots with players who have very very marginal holdings in $2,200 buy-in tournaments with $2.5 million guaranteed prize pools now who knows if my third barrel bluff would have worked in this situation maybe it would I guess it would have right but who knows, these old guys in Venetian hats here in Vegas will fool you every so often. Love to hear your thoughts on both of these hands. Find me on Twitter at Clayton Comic. And for everyone here at Tournament Poker Edge, I'm Clayton Fletcher. Thank you so much for listening. I wanna hold them like they do in Texas plays. Fold them, let them hit me, raise it, baby, stay with me. Lock in intuition, play the cards with babes to start. And after she's been hooked, I'll play the one that's on her heart.
It's not rough, it isn't fun, fun Oh, oh, oh 